Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, a short episode, and you may be seeing quite a few of these in the next few weeks, a recap of this week's episode of Barry, an episode called The Wizard, which is the Black Sabbath song we hear early in the episode. This is the sixth episode of this fourth and final season. And as I've mentioned before, it will be wrapping up on exactly the same night as the series finale of Succession. Quite an eventful night for fans of both of these shows. And also the season finale of Yellow Jackets, another show that we're also covering here in the podcast. May, as usual, because of the Emmy deadline, is incredibly packed with shows wrapping up and even some shows premiering. So do expect to see more of these shorter episodes in the next couple of weeks. And then it's feast or famine, so June will be much quieter. One thing I'll definitely be continuing to cover would be Silo, the Apple TV show that's turned into quite a hit. I have been watching it, just have no place to recap it here in our feed. Probably this week, expect to see a catch-up on the first three episodes of that show in anticipation of the fourth episode, which is about halfway through this season. And once we wrap up this slew of shows, including Ted Lasso, Mrs. Davis, which is wrapping up this week, The Big Door Prize, a show that Sona and I have been watching week to week, and other shows that I've been watching and not necessarily covering here on the podcast throughout the end of the month. And then once again, some news in June for some other new content for the show as well. Make sure you subscribe if you'd like to follow along and get notifications when that content becomes available. So this sixth episode of the show is called The Wizard. Here's a show that, when it comes to upcoming teasers for next week, gives us nothing, not a hint at what is to come in the next episode, or barely, at least you may get a location out of it, minimally. And here on the previously on, makes almost a mini-movie. This could work as not only a little recap snippet, but a stylish short film of its own. Basically, speaking to the thematics of the show itself, all these people caught in this vicious cycle of these violent acts and trapped in some ways in their own personal purgatories, awaiting Barry's next move. (laughs) As we open on the episode, what a bizarre sequence of events here. We have Barry trying to get Sally to learn how to assemble the pistol. She says, can't we just keep the safety on? Barry's rationale is that boys know innately how guns and cars work. (laughs) Not sure that's true, especially the cars part. Sally refuses to partake in this exercise and also is not on board with Barry going on this murderous mission. First of all, if they've truly turned over a new leaf and they've become these religious people, this does contradict everything they supposedly stand for. But Barry's dead set on getting even with Jean, telling her that this is going to draw additional attention to them that they don't need. Sally says, so you're going to kill everybody? You're going to kill the people at the studio? And he's like, no, just Jean. And she mentions, are you sure? Are you sure this isn't just your vendetta against Gene because he got you caught? And he says, no, absolutely not. It's a way to protect the family. And maybe indicative of Barry throughout the course of this show really never understands his real rationale for the decisions he makes. Barry's ultimatum here is chilling. He says, we either do this or we drop John off at an orphanage and we commit suicide. (laughs) Barry slash Clark says his goodbyes to his son, John, Now, remember, Barry doesn't work. He's home all day long with his son 
as much as he can, tries to control his son from even hanging out with the other local boys in this desert community. So this is traumatizing to John. <laughs> He's afraid of spending too much time with his mom. Please give mommy the strength to not leave the house and to tend to John's needs. Amen. Why can't I come with you? Because work's tough. But you don't have a job. It's a job interview. Would we have to move again? If everything goes well, no. I have to stay home while mom's at work. Well, I called in sick today, sweetie. So I'm going to be with you until daddy gets back. Sound good? And I'm sure Sally is not comfortable with this either. She is not that kind of mom. Some interesting pieces of dialogue here. The realization that John says, does this mean we have to move again? So they have moved around. Maybe it's not the first time that Barry's almost been found out. And this might explain how they've become more and more cloistered over time. I still want to get the backstory on the birth of John. This must have been extremely traumatic for Sally. Some funny pieces of dialogue here. Clark slash Barry is telling John that he has to go somewhere for work. He says, but you don't work. He says, well, it's a job interview. <laughs> and of course, reassures him that this time they won't have to move again if everything goes well. Sally is stressed out for many reasons, doesn't necessarily know how to deal with the boy one-on-one, -on -one, and of course, does not want Barry to go on this mission. Next, we see Fuchs being picked up after eight years now, released from prison, all tatted up, hardened, maybe now truly this character that he only pretended to play earlier, fully embracing the Raven moniker. We have this pretty funny montage. He's listening to Black Sabbath in a convertible, makes intense eyes at one of the servers at the coffee shop, and she immediately falls in love with him and is on this journey with him as well. Where are they headed to? Noho Hanks, Palatial Digs. This sand business in California has been hugely successful. The business is called Noho Ball. <laughs> A little homage to the dearly departed Cristobal. But that's not the only memento to Cristobal. In the lobby is a bronze full-size statue of Cristobal. And there's a full memorial here. It was his vision. Photos of Cristobal, his dream of bringing this quality sand to California, and some quotes, every day can be like Dave and Buster's. I wonder how happy Dave and Buster's is with this <laughs> publicity tie-in here. Hank seems simultaneously happy to see Fuchs and a bit wary as well. Hank says, what happened to you? Fuchs says he found himself. His tattoos speak to his journey. Hank has become hugely successful and a legitimate businessman, it appears to be. Fuchs has only one thing on his mind. He wants a meeting with Barry Berkman. We can move forward on two conditions. You put us up on your best property and then you find and deliver Barry Berkman to me. Barry. <laughs> That's old news, man. I mean... Barry's in the wind. He's probably dead. I can definitely get you guys a house. Your best house. But I suggest you move on from Barry. Okay. We'll get much better fish to fry. Barry. Alone. In a room. With me and my guys. That's the top priority. And of course we know. We know. They cannot quit Barry. This codependent relationship. And Hank, I wonder if he still perhaps blames Barry for Cristobal dying. After all, if it wasn't for his own vendetta mission, he would not have come back to California. Meanwhile, maybe the funniest joke in this whole entire show, Barry is desperately listening to podcasts. Here we are, podcasters, once again, being the butt of the joke in this show. I'm not sure what point he's trying to make with all these digs at podcasting, but Barry's listening to many, many Christian podcasters 
talking about whether murder is okay or not. He's desperately looking for some rationalization. <laughs> and progressively, he goes further and further down to sketchier Christian podcasters looking for any excuse. And he seems to be vibing on a lot of these podcast episodes, but then all of a sudden they're like, well, except for murder, of course. <laughs> Murder's pretty much unforgivable. He's like, nope, on to the next episode. Gene's back in Los Angeles, back with Tom, who's been living in his house apparently this whole time, eight years. Gene is truly disturbed by Tom's collection of, what is this, puppets? <laughs> this is a pretty disturbing collection of knickknacks. Tom and Gene meet with this Warner Brothers executive. She explains the pitch of the film. It's going to be about Barry. Barry will be the lead character, but Gene is the hero. He's the one who takes Barry down. The story of a teacher who is stalked by his students, but eventually he gets the upper hand. Gene at this moment, I mean, unless he's really, really somehow overcome this massive ego he's had in the past, and maybe his time away at this Israeli kibbutz has cured him of this. So this does plant an interesting seed. If Gene has really turned over a new leaf, is this show about redemption? But if that's the case, do we believe that Hank has indeed overcome his criminal past, can let the Barry Vendetta go, can accept the success he has now? Can Gene actually forgive himself for what he's done and take the higher road, be content with what he has, and not give into this desire to be famous, to be appreciated by his peers? One thing's for sure, Barry has not redeemed himself. Barry, I think, pretends that he is this new father, that his concerns are only for his family, that he is a good Christian. But then we see him trying to find an argument that rationalizes his own violent impulses. He says he's going after Gene, not on a vendetta, but to protect his family. But is any of that true? And is any of these other performances we see from these other characters true either. Maybe that's the question we're trying to solve here in the last couple episodes of the show. Tom doesn't believe it. Tom, of course, wants to get paid, as any agent would. And I mean, he's known Gene for a very long time. Hasn't seen him in quite some time, but he's known him for a very long time. And he knows that his need to stroke his ego is almost insurmountable. This executive mentions that they're going to make this movie one way or the other, and it is the truth of the situation. But Gene does make a legitimate argument that this film would simply be glorifying a psychopath and exploiting the victims of this crime. When Tom told me that you were making a movie about Barry, I had my concerns. But now that I've heard your pitch, I see my concerns are warranted. But this movie is what happened. It's the truth. This is a mindless entertainment. You are glorifying a psychopath and you're exploiting the memory of the woman I loved. Gene, listen, this is merely a discussion, you know? I mean, they could wind up making the movie with whatever you're comfortable with. What I'm comfortable with is this movie going away and you leaving me and the memory of Janice alone. Now, slight side note here. Bill Hader has stopped doing press for the show in solidarity with the Writers Guild, but I'd be very curious to hear him talk about these few episodes. Maybe we will see him have some interviews once the show wraps up, because I do know that at the beginning of the season, was one of the big questions he wanted to explore with this show, especially in this final season, was this desire from, and maybe this is where the joke about the podcasting comes in, even though these aren't true crime podcasters, but that is such a popular genre among podcasters, this question of turning human misery into just content. And that's what we're seeing here. And the argument that Gene makes at this moment, whether he's sincere or not, 
is basically the argument that Hader has made that there is something morally repugnant about us as an audience, as of course the producers of the show as well, who are feeding that hunger, to take these horrible things that happen to real people and turn it into just fodder for entertainment. In parallel this entire time, Barry continues his journey back to California and he rearms himself. Very funny sequence here where you see he's at a Walmart perhaps, and just as he's buying the guns and by law has to be shown photographs of grievous bodily injury with some stuffed animals <laughs> right behind there. So selling the guns right next to the toys at this particular department store. Barry's in a pretty good mood here. He's found, he thinks, a podcast that rationalizes his murderous actions. And just as he's walking away with his brown bag full of guns, he hits play on his podcast. And of course, murder for vengeance is never allowed. <laughs> it does stop him in his tracks, literally. But of course, that still doesn't stop him. Gene, meanwhile, has been intercepted by the DA after his lunch with Warner Brothers executive and is back in front of that same DA from previously in the show, who still is in office, I guess, eight years later. This DA, skeptical of Gene, of course, why have you come out of hiding just for a movie? And everyone is suspicious of his interest in this movie. He says, I didn't want him immortalized. Once again, talking the talk. We'll see if he walks the walk when push comes to shove. Barry's come across another pastor, podcaster, Nick St. Angelo. I believe this is Bill Burr, the comedian, doing the voice here as the pastor here on the podcast. And the sermon here is how he doesn't feel bad about committing manslaughter because he felt so furious, so infuriated at the moment when his teammate was injured that he took that rage as a sign from God. <laughs> Barry says, bingo, and hits pause. He doesn't even want to hear any more of the episode because every time he thought he found his rationalization, it's because it was done within my faith. Now, what does that mean? It means I prayed about it and I looked for God's signs. If you go back and watch the replay, you'll see Zerillo check my teammate, Mark Flanagan, putting him in the hospital. This pissed me off. This gave me an intense feeling that I knew was a sign from God saying, you got my blessing, Nikki. Bingo. So he's not even taking that risk. <laughs> Bingo and pause. Back in their desert home, Sally and John are not happy. John is crying, missing Barry terribly, this codependent relationship he has with his father. Sally tries to feed him lunch. He's not even interested in eating but he does drink some juice with a big splash of vodka. Thanks, mom. <laughs> That's one way to uh, placate the kid. Hank takes the guys to this gaudy but luxurious house. They're ooing and eyeing, literally, as he shows them all the amenities. They're all snapping photos. He's electronically depositing money into all their accounts. They're pretty happy with the situation, but Fuchs only wants one thing. When are you going to bring me Barry Berkman? I need a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Barry. Hank has been doing his research. He knows that Gene has resurfaced and he has his feelers out trying to find if Barry's resurfacing as well. Gene shows up at Leo's house, his son, who last time we saw him had been shot by Gene two episodes ago, but eight years ago in the timeline of the show. Leo's surprised to see him. I guess they haven't been talking regularly during this time. I think this is the first time we fully understand that Leo did survive the shooting. Barry apparently has been casing Leo's house. A little surprised that he wasn't casing his dad's house, but it was his son's house. But he says, well, that's a sign. <laughs> he takes that as a sign from God that he is supposed to do this assassination. Interesting that Gene at this moment is apologizing to his son 
for having shot him, explaining to him that he thought he was somebody else. But this is strange. He did not stick around to find out whether the injuries to his son were life-threatening. He just ran away. I mean, maybe he ran away, thought it was best to just disappear. Maybe he was ashamed of what he had done. Regardless, this is just speaks to the fact of how inept Gene is at just basic human interactions with his son, no less. He would figure, even if he disappeared, he would at least call his son up and apologize to him once he recovered. Nope, he shot him. I assume he would recognize that it was him relatively quickly, maybe the night of, and then just found out his status through Tom. It's just absolutely terrible. <laughs> and, and once again, speaks to the fact that Gene at this moment is talking to talk, is saying all the right things, but how could this situation have gone unaddressed for so long if he's really turned over a new leaf? Leo wants to know, why are you even back now after this? You haven't come back in all this time. Why are you here now? And he mentions the fact that Warner Brothers is making this movie. Leo, of course, immediately jumps to the conclusion that he's there because he wants the movie made and he wants to be consulted on it. He says, no, I want to kill the movie. Leo does not believe this. Hey, I got to tell you, I don't believe it either. We saw the same thing last season. Gene truly did seem to have embraced the second chance he'd been given, was the bigger man, was an honorable person, and he's betrayed all of that over and over again over the course of this show. Barry approaches the house, but is interrupted by an approaching vehicle. It's Leo's son, Gene's grandson, not happy to see Gene, although Gene is happy to see him. It just speaks to this strange psychology that Barry has. He really is a pure sociopath. He has over and over again proven himself to be cruelly self-centered. But here, maybe because he has a son now, does restrain himself from killing Gene when the grandson interrupts them. Back with Sally, John is completely passed out. Her babysitting chores being taken care of with just a dose of vodka. Their kid's probably an alcoholic at this point already, at the age of eight or seven, I guess it would be. And she goes to take a nap in her room. And then we get, I mean, this is saying quite a lot. This may be the most bizarre sequence we've seen in this show. First, we hear someone. She wakes up, half drunk, of course, so not certain if she heard what she thought she heard. Someone saying that they're coming for her and the boy. And this is a disturbing and creeping sequence. And at one point, doesn't even seem like it may actually be happening. She goes out into the living room where John is still sleeping. The windows are open. The front door is unlocked, by the way. Did a terrible job of securing herself, considering her circumstance. And she's walking around, locking the door and closing the windows. And then we see that there's someone in a black bodysuit, basically stalking her in her blind spot behind her and moving quickly and quietly. And this is a really creepy scene and just bizarre. Like it <laughs> seems impossible and just <laughs> surreal to say the least. As she enters the room, grabs the door and slams it shut on her. And then she can't escape through the door. We hear him screaming at her for injuring him, saying the boy can't wake up. He's not even breathing. She grabs the gun parts from the floor, assembles it finally. And this strange home invader is also screaming, what did you put in my eye? None of this makes any sense. It's really bizarre. And we really just believe that it's not even happening, to be honest. This might all be just in her head. And as she's about to shoot through the door, the entire house gets moved. The wall bursts open. It looks like this truck has pushed the house off of its foundation. And through the hole in the wall, she can see this black truck driving away. The entire house is wrecked. And John has slept through the entire thing. He's not dead, by the way. He is still breathing, snoring. 
if I had to take a guess, is this Bevel or one of Bevel's goons that he has sent to intimidate her? Is this a random person, a home invader who just sneaks into people's homes? He seems extremely mentally unstable, by the way. The whole screaming of you put something in my eye. It's only now as I'm recording this recap that I think about the attacker saying, you put something in my eye, which of course is what happened last season when Sally defended herself against that biker gang member who tried to strangle her and she stabbed him through the neck and the knife went into the back of his eye, which once again, just makes me think that at least part of this is not actually happening. So is this some manifestation of her paranoia that she thinks there's an assailant there just out of sight and she's imagining these threats? She's also imagining that some of this dialogue, the son's not breathing. Is this the paranoia that she's under all the time? I could buy that, but then how is the house damaged? Was that an earthquake? If it's an earthquake, then how come she was having this delusion before the house started to come apart? And we know for sure that it's not just happening in her mind. In those final moments when she is calling Barry, we see the damage to the house and the car. She sees a car through the hole in the wall. If all of that is delusional, including the car at the end, then she is severely mentally disturbed. <laughs> but I'm pretty certain that this is a conflation of some things that are actually happening and then her own internal paranoia that we're experiencing through her perceptions, if not through her actual eyes. As we approach the end of the episode, Fuchs is out to dinner. He apparently, what is he, two days out from his prison stint, is fully in love with this woman as informally adopted her teenage daughter. Seems to be really happy. He's finding love late in life. They seem relatively normal <laughs> to be hanging out with Fuchs and his, these goons. And in his drunken state, Fuchs starts to quote unquote compliment, compliment Hank. Hank, you're such a huge success. Congratulations. You're meeting with stars and with politicians. You really took the sand business and made something out of it. I didn't think you had it in you. He used the NoHo hourglass to get rid of his biggest competitors. Interesting revision to this. These were really his own gang members. Cherry on top of this Sunday says, and then you got rid of Cristobal. You took his idea and you ran with it. And Hank says, that's not what happened. Our rivals had Cristobal killed. And Fuchs is like, no, no, I heard the story in prison. I know how it actually happened. I know what the truth is. Hank gets furious. This deal is done. Fuchs seems clueless to the fact that he has infuriated Hank. Once again, thematically here, characters trying to erase the sins of their past, pretend they didn't happen, making amends in their own ways. Hank, by erecting a monument to Cristobal and trying to convince himself that the story of what happened to Cristobal wasn't his fault or he wasn't culpable in any way. Gene, trying to keep this movie from being made so that he can move on with his life and try to forget Barry. And realistically, he probably does know that this is going to bring Barry out of the woodwork, which of course it is right under his nose happening. Sally unable to run away from what's happened, now being confronted with, of course, the byproduct of that whole thing, her very son, something she can't cope with. Just acknowledging the fact that they have a son is so disturbing to her, being confronted with it without the buffer of going to work and being drunk all day long. And Barry trying to convince himself that if he just kills Gene, then somehow this all goes away. The past disappears and he can keep pretending to be who he is now. As far as Fuchs goes, I'm not sure what he's doing. He is definitely not em erasing the past. He's fully embracing it, but is still trying to move on with this new family potentially. And he seems surprised when he just states facts and 
people are surprised to hear them coming out of his mouth. And as we get to the very end of the episode, Sally is terrified now, calling Barry. She's just telling him to come home that she should be more concrete about what's happening there at the house. Hearing that someone broke into their house and probably made it structurally unsound would be enough to bring him home. But that all may be a moot point considering where things wrap up in the next couple of minutes. Gene, meanwhile, back at his house. It's nighttime now. Looking for Tom. Don't know what happened to Tom. I have a feeling he's just not there at the moment because Barry's on the outside of the house looking through the window. He does see Gene. And this is really good acting here by Hader. He's pained seeing Gene again and maybe feels some empathy here for him. But he's still going forward with his plan. He comes around approaching the front of the house. The door is still open. He can see Gene walking around inside. He's sneaking, trying to be as stealthy as possible. And just as he's about to enter the house, a sack over his head. He's knocked out. When he comes to, he's in the garage, restrained, and looking at Jim Moss. Wow, so what an episode here. I love this exploration of these people trying to escape their pasts. They try to reinvent themselves, performing for each other, performing for themselves even, but can they ever truly escape their pasts? Jim here at the very end, also someone trapped in the same narrative, the death of his daughter, something he can never forgive himself for, forgive Gene for, forgive Barry for. But now he has Barry exactly where he wants him. And I really am curious to see how the show is going to resolve this. They're evenly matched in the fact that Barry has proven himself to be extremely resilient when he's cornered. But Jim is, as well, has been incredibly skilled at what he does. What happens here between Jim and Barry? We've seen that Jim can reprogram people, make them speak German, <laughs> made his captor back in Vietnam, I believe it was, or Korea, whatever war he was in, commit suicide just by talking to him. Now, if Barry was a different kind of character, this could be like a battle of wits. Who comes out on top? But Barry's completely guileless. He is like a child, basically. He's so developmentally arrested. He's impulsive. He can only see something that he sees as wrong to him, and it takes on this huge magnitude. It really, truly is a sociopathic mentality, and yet there are these flashes of empathy. Not that sociopaths are completely without empathy, but primarily without empathy. So will this be a psychological breakdown of Barry in the next episode? That would be very interesting. And if Jim does break him down and reprogram him, what does he reprogram him to do? Does he make him a vengeance machine? Does he strip him away of all of his psychological armor so that he can experience or has to experience all the trauma that he's created? That could absolutely destroy him and leave him completely open if he is indeed being pursued by Hank and Fuchs or, and or Fuchs. I hope that Jim doesn't die, but I kind of find it unlikely that there is any other outcome. There is definitely a possibility of an outcome where Barry dies, by the way, but it couldn't be in the next episode since we only have two to go. It may very well be in the very last episode. And of course, all of these things coming together, Fuchs and Hank and Barry and Jean, and maybe Sally coming out to Los Angeles with her son in tow now that she feels unsafe in her home once again. And that all remains to be seen. On the maybe negative side here, and it's not the first time the show hasn't done this, that extremely surreal and pretty disturbing sequence of that stealthy stalker inside the home really seems a little bizarre in tone 
given the rest of the episode, not necessarily too far off the map with how Barry's been so bizarre. The show itself has been so bizarre frequently, but maybe for this specific episode, a little bit too weird for me <laughs> and maybe unnecessarily weird, especially when this is a pretty serious episode, I would say, but maybe there's further payoff to that. But in general, I have a lot of confidence in Hader and his creative staff. The show has been, continues to be extremely interesting. And we have just two episodes to go. Son and I will be back on Friday with a longer episode discussing this upcoming eighth episode of Yellow Jackets. But before then, Miss Davis and The Big Door Prize both wrap up this week. And I have lots of things to say about both of those shows. So expect to see that relatively quickly also. Talk to you soon.